Thank you so much. It is so good to be in God's house, worshiping Him and spending time with one another. And uh, what an amazing Easter we did have. Oh, thanks. Uh, what's your name again, James? <laughs> oh, he's a good guy, this, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. We had an amazing weekend last weekend, just remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. The, the suffering that Jesus went through to pay for our sin and then his resurrection just and it was God's confirmation saying, I've accepted this sacrifice and the sins are paid for and there is new life in Christ. And so those of us that confess Jesus as Lord and confess him as Christ, we are able to be reconciled to the Father. How amazing to have an intimate and personal relationship with our God because of the Easter weekend, isn't it? So we really praise God for that. And Simon spoke about resurrection and the post-resurrection appearance, the first one in fact, and it was with Mary Magdalene, and he preached so beautifully about how Jesus called her by name, and then she became, she went from being a mourner into a missionary, and how the encounter with Jesus transformed her life, and she was able to declare him and declare that he was risen. So there are 11 of these post-resurrection uh, ex- um, appearances of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. And I want to speak about two of them today. And now when I read this, and I'm going to speak from Luke 24, and as I read it, I had to ask myself, why is it that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection? And I, I thought, well, you know, why is it, since his work was finished, why didn't he just go up to heaven? And the more I looked into it, the more I realized what his purpose was in in staying for another 40 days. He still had work to do. So I thought to myself, but his work was finished. And he declared that on the cross. But actually his work wasn't finished. So the work of salvation was complete. And he had paid for our sins. That sacrifice was made. But there was still some more work to be done in the sense of the fact that he had to prepare his people for mission. It had to help them to understand what had taken place from the Old Testament and what had taken place just in those last couple of days so they could make sense of it all and they could go out and declare him as the Lord. So his work was not finished. And so I want us to just pray and then we're going to get into Luke 24. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrates, it penetrates between dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And that's what we want your word to do for us today. It is alive, and I pray that it will be active in our hearts and that you will do everything in us today, that you would bring understanding, that you would bring clarity, that you would bring direction, and that we would know you in a deeper way and know what it is you're calling us to in a deeper way. We ask these things of you in the name of Jesus. So I'm looking at Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. So it's a little bit long for us to read in our time together. So I want you to just go home and read it. So it's Luke 24, 13 to 35, but I'll just tell you more or less what's in it. So it speaks firstly about the risen Christ appearing to the two men on their way to Emmaus. It's a, it's a, 
little village, it was about seven k's out of Jerusalem, and they're walking along, and Jesus meets with them. And then the next incident is that Jesus meets with his disciples, and um, he speaks to them, and he encourages them, and shows that he is the risen Christ. And then the next section is the, the commissioning of his disciples. And he speaks to them about the fact that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will be witnesses wherever they go. Then the last section of that chapter, is it speaks about Christ's ascension and his final journey into heaven. And then his work really is complete. But let's have a look at this uh, passage um, under four headings. It's confessions of disappointment and doubt. The second one is confessions of scripture, the confessions of faith, and then from confessions to commission. So we'll look at it under those headings. But I want to ask you, have you ever been on a journey that has changed your life? I have, and we're all on this journey of life, and, but there are these smaller journeys that we go on in life. And uh, I want to share two of those journeys with you as we, we go through this, this preach this morning. But Cleopas and his friend, which were the two men that were traveling to Emmaus, had a journey like that, a journey that changed their lives forever. So I want to just mention to you what happened there. So they were traveling along. So they, it was the same day that Jesus um, was resurrected. And they were traveling along the road and discussing the events of what had just happened that, you know, Jesus had died and he was resurrected. And as they were chatting, Jesus suddenly appears out of nowhere, as he can. And uh, he said to them, what are you talking about? What are you discussing as you walk along the road? And they just stood and their heads dropped and they were downcast. And they said to him, um, how come you don't know what's going on? Like, where have you been? <laughs> you know what I mean? But isn't it so amazing how, how Jesus does that with us sometimes? He knows exactly what's going on, and he doesn't need to ask us any questions, but he asks because he wants to engage us. He wants to have a conversation with us, and he wants us to know what is actually going on in our own hearts because he knows. But he asks the question, and so they're surprised that he doesn't know what's going on. And he says, what things are you talking about? And they say, but Jesus of Nazareth, he, was, he came and he was a prophet, and he was powerful in word and deed before God and before people. But the chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and he was crucified. But the amazing thing that we've just heard this morning is that some woman went to the tomb and they couldn't find his body there. And then the guys weren't so sure about it, so they went to go and check, and yes, his body wasn't there. And so Jesus says to them, but how foolish can you be? I told you that these things were going to happen. And it is spoken about in the, in the law and the prophets. It's spoken of in the Old Testament. So you should have been aware of these things and that this had to happen and then I would enter my glory. And then he goes into a dialogue with them, or not a dialogue, a teaching where he says, this is what happened. Let's look at the scriptures and I'm going to show you how this has been spoken, how I have been spoken about in the Old Testament. And then they carry on walking and as they approach the village, um, Jesus pretends he wants to go off and they go, no, 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 please stay with us. We want you to, to hang out with you for a little bit longer. So they sit down to have a meal and, 
As he gives thanks for the meal and he breaks the bread, suddenly their eyes are opened and they can see that he is Jesus. What an amazing moment for them. And then Jesus disappears from their sight. So I want to just have a look at this confession of doubt that they had in that moment before Jesus um, opened up their eyes. And this is what it says in verse 19. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, there it is. We had hoped. And that was their disappointment because they had a picture in their mind and they had thought, yes, we see something of the supernatural here. He goes around doing miracles. There is something different about him. It must be him. He must be the Messiah. And then the very Romans that he was meant to defeat and deliver the Israelites from, those are the ones that actually defeat him and crucify him. And so their hopes are dashed. And things haven't worked out the way they pictured them. And this, this longing in their hearts for a deliverer are dashed. And they think, what now? Have you ever felt like that? When God has told you something or you've, you've got a promise from God and it just hasn't worked out the way that you imagined that it would work out. And it has left you confused and disappointed and even disillusioned. Well, they were in that place. They felt just like that. They thought to themselves, this is looking so good. He's here. He's with us. There's something different about him. But now he's dead. And so it all seemed to go pear-shaped. And they just didn't know how to make sense of all of this. And Jesus, in that moment when he's talking to them, he challenges this confession of doubt that they have. And he says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he challenges and saying, when I was with you, I told you that this was going to happen. And it's recorded three times in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And four times in John that Jesus clearly says that and tells them what is going to happen. And it says this in, in John, I think it was that I wrote it. And he said... And Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many times and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So they should have known, but maybe they did believe in a way, but they couldn't piece it all together. They didn't fully understand how, you know, this was all going to fit together. And a similar thing happened when, a thing happened when Jesus met with his disciples and he appears to them, and they think they've seen a, a ghost, and they, they're quite terrified, and he has to say to them, you know, peace be with you. And uh, when they're with him, they are filled with doubt, and they're like, how can this be? And he says, but look at my hands, look at my feet, give me something to eat, I'll show you. It, it's me, I'm here, and, and I've been raised from the dead. And their doubt is also challenged by Jesus. So they don't confess it as such, but it is seen here in the passage that they're filled with doubt. And Jesus says the same thing to them, but I told you while I was with you that this is what was going to happen. So at the confession of their hearts, um, 
belief about the situation and the resurrected Jesus continues to see their need. I lost my train of thought now, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to read my notes. So although Jesus challenges this disappointment and this doubt in their hearts, he doesn't leave them there. So he sees the confession of their hearts. He sees that they are doubting, that they're disappointed, that they can't piece it all together. And he says to them, you should have known better, but he doesn't leave them in that place. And that's what I just love about Jesus, is that he sees our need and he meets us in our need. And that leads me to my second point, the confessions of Scripture. And so it's so amazing, and Jesus models this so beautifully for us, that Jesus goes back to Scripture to bring the clarity. And this is good for us to remember in times when circumstances cause us to doubt, when we're feeling uncertain, it's important that we go back to Scripture to get clarity. It shows us in Scripture Again, that God is unchanging, that his character is sure. Because when we're in certain circumstances, it feels like everything's shaking around us. We feel like we're on shaky ground and we feel uncertain and we doubt or we become disappointed or, or disillusioned. But when we go back to scripture, we see, no, God is the rock, the rock eternal. And he does not change. And so we can rely on him and we can trust in him. But often what happens is when we're in a certain circumstance and it's a difficult time, just like these um, guys on the road to Emmaus, they, we rehash circumstances in our own heads and even with our friends and we go round and round in circles. But we actually need the light of scripture to come in and to shine light and truth and that's when things begin to change in our hearts. And that's when our confession begins to change, when scripture is spoken over us. So the disciples needed to hear the teachings of scripture to make sense of the circumstances that had happened. And so do we. We need the Bible and the truths of the Bible to be able to come in and make sense of some of the difficult and confusing circumstances of our lives. And so we read in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. So that word, well, let me read this other verse to you as well. Verse 44 says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And so I want to say today, maybe you're a new believer and you've got lots of questions. There's some things you don't understand about the Bible. Maybe they're just some things you don't understand about life in light of now being a Christian. And you're not sure how it all works and how it all fits together and even what God is requiring of you. Jesus took time to explain he has no problem explaining because he knows that we don't know everything and we don't always understand everything. So he took time to explain and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I often pray that when I approach the Bible, I say, Lord, open my mind to understand. And so we can come to him and ask him to give us understanding. 
So Luke doesn't tell us exactly what passages he used to be able to teach them and to piece all of these things together for them and give them the understanding that they needed. But I looked at three because there are many references to Jesus. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament points towards Jesus because it's the redemption story. The whole of the Bible points towards what God or how God wanted to save all of mankind. So I looked at Psalm 22. And this is what it says, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Isn't that exactly what happened? Maybe Jesus went to Isaiah 53. This is a famous passage. And for us, looking back, this makes sense to us. But for them, they didn't have the scriptures the way we have them all laid out so beautifully. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, uh, brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had not had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The suffering for us. He did it for us. And then another one, the famous one is Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So maybe Jesus took some of these passages and said, you see, the Old Testament spoke of me, and look, it has happened just the way it has been predicted. So Jesus taught them. He was the master teacher. If you read in the Gospels, he taught so beautifully, and he was able to teach in such a way, in such a skillful way that people could understand. But it wasn't just that. The Holy Spirit also brought understanding. It wasn't a matter of them just looking at Jesus and suddenly realizing, oh yes, it's him. He's our rabbi. That's the one. There was a deep revelation and an understanding that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. And it's that revelation that in fact changed their confession, that changed their life completely. And I want to say to you today, you can do the same thing when you read scripture, that you ask God to open your mind. Like I said, ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation, understanding. Open your mind, open your eyes so that you can see what it is that he wants to teach you and shine his light onto your path on this journey. So what was the result of him teaching them and showing them and piecing all these, putting all these pieces together. It says in Luke 24 verse 31, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So when they got the revelation, when they got the understanding, after Jesus had taught them, their hearts burned within them. And they were excited because they, it's that they got the witness that he is the Christ. And we can go out confidently. So their hearts were set on, on fire and ablaze for him. And that leads me to my third point, the confessions of faith. So when we understand and know the truth, our confession changes. 
So it says of them in verse 33 that they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen, risen and has appeared to Simon. So in knowing the truth, their confession changed and they were able to say, yes, he has risen. So what was the purpose of the post-resurrection appearances? Jesus had to come back and minister and help them through their disappointments and their doubts and their wonderings about these circumstances that had happened. He had to take some time to fully equip them so that they, they could understand that this was God's plan, that they were on track, that the wheels hadn't come off and they didn't have to be confused in any way. But this is exactly how God wanted these things to happen. And so I think I said in the beginning that I've got two journeys that I want to share with you. And one of them is a journey that was quite painful for me, but it changed my life. And it's, I grew up with three brothers, an older one, seven, seven years older, six years older, and one that is, was a year older than me. And his name was Wayne. And uh, him and I were very close. He's the closest person to me. And... We were, I was 16 and he was 17 and I was at a friend's house and I got a terrible, a dreadful call to say that he had been in a car accident. And so I had to get into a car and make a journey to the hospital. And there was so much uncertainty in my heart. I didn't even cross my mind that he might die or that anything terrible would happen. I imagined that he would get up and leave that hospital. But it was such a confusing journey traveling to that hospital. That was a Sunday night that he had the accident, and Wednesday morning, the doctor said he was brain dead and they had to switch the life support off. So I was standing with my family in that room, but feeling so confused and so out of it. I didn't know what had hit me. It really had felt something terrible hit me. I couldn't understand what was going on. The next thing, if you could hear his heart beating, and the next thing, they switched the machines off, and there's that terrible sound, that just that beeping, you know. And I just felt like my whole world fell apart in that moment. This person that I loved so deeply, that was so close to me, that understood me and knew me so well, was gone. And I didn't even know how to process it. And then there was the journey home with my other brother, with Gordon, and a journey in silence, a journey that felt like we were going nowhere. I, I, I just, life felt so empty and so meaningless. I thought I couldn't understand what, what would happen now. And as I got home, there were flowers on the steps of our home. We didn't have a fence in those days. And there were flowers. And I remember feeling so angry and saying, I don't want flowers. I said that to, to my other brother. I don't want flowers. I want Wayne. I want my brother. What can flowers do for me? And yet I understood that people were trying to be kind to me. But I felt so hurt and so broken. And it took me six years a six-year journey to be healed from that devastation and that pain. And so I didn't walk closely with the Lord at that time, but I knew he was there. And my brother and I, were, Wayne and I, were, would have gone into matric together. 
And uh, because he actually failed one year, so we were in standard nine and matric together. And I had to go back to school alone. And it was terrible. It was terrible. And the pain was so deep, I didn't even know how to speak to anybody or how to process that pain. And I remember sitting in the biology class one day and I looked up and I said to God, I said, God, I just want you to know one thing. We just need to get something straighter before, <laughs> before we move on, is that I hate you and I want nothing to do with you. So if you stay where you are, I'll stay with you, and that'll be it. Okay, so you and me, we're done. Do we understand each other? Okay, cool. So that was it for me, I thought. But God in his grace and mercy continued to pursue me. He continued to draw me with loving kindness. And I saw his eternal, unfailing, unconditional love just chasing after me, showing me who he was. I always had close friends that were Christians, dedicated Christians, just showing me love, being there for me. So many ways he began to reveal himself to me. And as he revealed himself to me, there came a day, three years later, that I was radically saved and went from darkness into his marvelous light. And I praise him. I don't know where I would have been was it not for the saving grace of Jesus. What if he just left me and said, okay, I will leave you alone. Thankfully, he doesn't do that. He doesn't listen to every confession that we make because he knew it wasn't a confession of doubt or disappointment. It was of pain and of anger. And those of you that have lost loved ones here will know that we go through a time of anger. It's very real and it's very normal. It's part of the grieving process and God understands that too. And there came a time when my confession changed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, I want to be close to you. Jesus was the healer of my broken heart, and I can, could confess that about him. So what does your journey look like? Maybe it's one of doubt and disappointment. Maybe it's one of pain or disillusionment. Maybe your confession, because of the circumstances that you're going through, isn't a good one. Because our circumstances will lead to some kind of Con confession, whether it's a good one or a bad one. But God wants to meet with you on this road. He wants to change something in your heart. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring the truth to your mind and to your heart so that you can have a new confession. Because an encounter with the risen Christ will give you a new confession. We can't stay the same once we've encountered Jesus. Once we engage him, once we receive his truth and we understand his truth, we'll never stay the same. So if you look at these passages, it's amazing for me to see how Jesus found these men and then how he left them. The two on the road, he found them downcast. And how did he leave them? with their hearts burning within them, excited and filled with hope again, not feeling disappointed, not feeling hopeless, but filled with hope, knowing that there was a future in God for them. And then the disciples, he found them troubled, actually startled and frightened and troubled. And how did he leave them? The end of that uh, passage, it says, 
They were worshiping God with great joy. When we encounter the living Christ, things change. Our hearts change and our confession changes. So once that confession became, went from doubt and disappointment to a confession of faith, Jesus could now commission. So they went from confessions to commission. And so they could now, with this powerful knowledge that Jesus is risen, that he is alive, they could go out and tell people about this risen Savior because they had an understanding. They had the truth, and this had set their hearts on fire. They could be confident witnesses of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So equipping is so important in our mission for God. And you read in Matthew 28, this one you know very well, we call it the Great Commission, but we often gloss over it. But I want to read it to you, and I want you to listen to it. These were Jesus' last words. We need to take note of people, if somebody's dying, you're going to hang on their last words. These are Jesus' last words to his church, to his people. It's something we need to take note of. So he said it to them, but he's saying it to us today. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So just as we have been taught, we've got revelation, we understand who Jesus is, he's saying, now go. Go and you teach, you make disciples, and you show others who Jesus is. And we read it in Mark as well. I won't read the whole passage. It just says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So you see at the end of each chapter in the gospels, there's this commission. After Jesus has done everything, died on the cross, but also taught them and equipped them, now he sends them. So that is Matthew and Mark. And then in Luke, he says, you are witnesses of these things. So those things that they saw Jesus do and what he taught, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So he says, you're going to be witnesses, but wait for a little while. When the power of the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be able to do this good work that I have called you to do. And then in John, the last gospel, I love this account because it is so personal. Where Peter had failed Jesus, he had denied him, and Jesus takes the time to restore him and to remind him that you're not excluded from this great commission. You're not excluded from this incredible plan that I have to reach the nations with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So there is this commissioning that Jesus gives for the whole church, for all his people. Not one of us are excluded. 
But then there's also this personal commissioning for each one of us because God knows us. So for Peter, it was for him to take care of the Lord's sheep, for him to shepherd the people of God. But for each one of us, there's something unique and special within this greater commissioning that God is calling each one of us to do according to your gifts and talents and according to your personality. And so I love it that God calls all of us as a group, as a church, but then he calls us as individuals as well. And I think he wants to remind us of that today. So another journey I want to share with you today is when I'd become a Christian at 20, about six months later, I sensed the call of God on my life into ministry. And I packed my little golf and off I went up to White River to Africa School of Missions to go and study there for three years. It happened over a couple of years because I had some financial challenges But it took a lot of courage for me to go. I didn't have a lot of support, but I went in obedience and in faith to God. And it was on this journey. So for me, it was a physical journey getting into my car. And I arrived in White River. And being in that place changed my life. But it was a spiritual journey that God had me on. And it was there that I learned to be completely or live a life completely surrendered to God that I learned to to be a true disciple of Jesus, to pick up my cross and follow him. And so it was through that teaching that my confession became, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I will go where you send me. Tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. It was through that revelation and understanding who Jesus was And the equipping that came through the Bible school, that it changed me and continues to change me because there's things that I still use and apply today in life and ministry. And so not all of us have to go to Bible school. I'm not advocating that you do that. But the church is a brilliant equipping place. God set it up like that. In Ephesians 4, it says that God, Jesus actually gave as gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists to equip the saints, that's you and me, saints for the work of the ministry. So when you come to church, you're being equipped. Yes, you're being inspired and encouraged as well. When you go to city group, that's part of your equipping. When you come to initiatives, go to institute. If you want to understand more about who God is, you want to understand the word of God more, study, study the word and take in and be hungry for the teachings of Jesus. They're going to change your life. So sign up for institute. Be a part of that. And I've lost my place now. Okay, thank you. Right. (laughs) So Jesus wants to equip us because he wants to send us out. And I want to say this to you. The initiatives we do as well, it's not just, so we, we recently did a how to share your faith. But we're going to do a marriage initiative. See that as a time of equipping because you can be missional in your marriage. You can touch people's lives because people will look at your marriage as it is more and more aligned to the word of God. They will look and see that it is different. 
And it will give you an opportunity to speak hope into other people's marriage or even preach the gospel to them as they see how you live and see how you as a couple love one another. So sign up for that. So our word for this year is cultivate. So God wants to cultivate us. He wants to get us ready. He wants to grow us so that we can go into the different spaces, places, and relationships that we have and we can make Jesus known. And we can impact people's lives with this truth and this knowledge that we have that Jesus is the risen Lord. That he died on the cross, but after three days he rose again. So now his work was done and his people were ready for mission, ready to preach the good news and build the church by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus made his final destination up to heaven. And it says in Luke 24, it says, When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple. So Jesus left. He ascended to heaven, and he entered glory. And does he not deserve all the glory and the honor and the praise for what he has done for us and for all of humanity. His work was finally done and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when he sat down, his work was finished, but our work began. And so we have taken over. He has equipped us. He has empowered us by his Holy Spirit. And he is sending us to do the works that he did here on earth. And he said in John 9 verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We cannot preach the gospel in heaven. We don't need to preach the gospel in heaven. But we need to preach the gospel and tell people about the incredible hope that is in Jesus today. Those people that you're going to meet today and tomorrow when you go to work, they need to know that Jesus is risen. And they want to hear it from you because they know you. They trust you. You're in relationship with them. They're in your spaces. And you can speak the truth of God's word into their lives. And then in Acts 1 verse 9, it says, Just as Jesus left in the clouds, so he is coming back. And so we have another signpost of hope that, yes, we need to be working. We need to be busy. We need to be about our Father's business and getting people to understand who Jesus is. And while we do that, we can be filled with hope because he's coming back for us. He's coming back. And so let's look up. Let's not be spiritually dull, but let's be alert. Let's be prayerful. Let's be busy with the things of God so that when he comes, he'll be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So this confession of the angel here in Acts about, it says, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So he is coming triumphantly, victoriously, but he is coming back for us. What an incredible hope we have in him. So I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I just want us to just think about some of these things for a minute. And I want to ask you today, what, what is your confession? 
If you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, and if I had to ask you today, you would say to me, Lorelei, I'm not a Christian. I want to say to you today that if that's you and you're skeptical and you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know anything about this. I don't know if Jesus is who he says he is. My prayer for you today is that God will open your eyes, that the scales will fall from your eyes, that you will see Jesus. He will open your understanding. And when you see him, your confession will be, yes, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that is all it actually takes, is to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and he rose again, and you will be saved. And if you need to speak to one of us after the service or the gathering today, please come and speak to us. If you're wanting more understanding, come and speak to us. But today is the day of salvation. God wants to meet you on your journey. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've become disillusioned. Maybe you've become weary. God wants to meet you too on this journey. And he wants your heart to burn for him again. He wants your heart to be set on fire for him again. So I don't know what your confession is. I don't know if it's a good confession or a bad confession or a wrong confession. But Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to shine the light of his word into your heart. If you're feeling hurt and you're needing healing like I did, he wants to meet you there. If you're feeling hopeless and you need your hope restored, if you're feeling down and you need your joy restored, he wants to meet you, he wants to speak his truth, and he wants to give you a new confession, one of faith, one of hope, one of joy, and one of love. And so I want to ask you just to open your heart to him. and Have a conversation as the band plays and as we sing. Have a conversation saying, Lord, this is my confession, but I want a new confession. This isn't a good confession. And I want to believe with all my heart. I want to put my faith in you. If you're not a Christian, but I want to, I want to believe with all my heart, Lord, that you can turn things around for me. And I can be lifted up out of this situation. And so I just want to pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you that you are here by your Spirit. I want to ask Holy Spirit that you would minister to every single person. That you would bring revelation, you would bring understanding, and that you would change hearts here today. Change confessions, Lord. That you would lift heads, and that all of us would walk out here feeling like we've been, and knowing that we've been touched by the risen Christ. Because we know when we encounter the risen Christ, we can't stay the same. So Lord, do your work in each heart, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.